It's almost inconceivable that a life sciences company would have no medical affairs function. But that's exactly what happened to my guest, Suma Ramadas. Welcome to the Cineos Health Podcast. I'm Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. I caught up with Suma at an industry conference to talk medical affairs from zero next. I'm joined by Suma Ramadas. Suma is Managing Director and has worked for over a decade in medical affairs, including starting the function at a mid-sized life sciences company. Suma Ramadas, welcome to the Cineos Health Podcast. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. So we're going to be talking about medical affairs. I know what medical affairs is just having run into it. For those who don't work in medical affairs, what is medical affairs? It's a great question and one that can't actually be answered so simply. So medical affairs is a function that started, oh, I'd say anywhere from five to 25 years ago, depending on the company. And it was really born out of a need from both clinical and commercial. So commercial started speaking, engaging with external stakeholders and recognized that there was a need for more deep scientific expertise and a more scientific engagement with these stakeholders. And so medical affairs was born. But if you look at the trajectory of medical affairs, it was really a support function before. And now it's come to a place where medical affairs hasn't been in, which is being a strategic partner within an organization. So we said that you worked at a mid-sized life sciences company and you recognize the need for medical affairs before. Did you even have the words medical affairs to attach to that? Or did you know that those functions existed and you needed it at your company? Talk me through the decision. It's funny that you say it that way. I actually didn't know what medical affairs was. We did not know how to put those two words together. We had scientific affairs and you had commercial and marketing, but we didn't really have something in the middle. And I started my career after academia going into more of a clinical development, post-marketing trials, writing protocols, working with physicians to publish that sort of role for three or four years, I'd say, and then started to recognize that there was a huge gap. We didn't know exactly what we were communicating. We didn't know how to communicate it. We didn't understand what evidence was necessary to position our products in the best possible way years ahead of launch. And so there started the function and we found that hole and filled the hole and it grew into a cross-divisional global organization, which is wonderful and yet had no idea that it was called medical affairs. It's kind of funny. If you run into, say, an ancient tribe that still exists today that doesn't have numbers above three or four or something like that, you see what it was like for people to live a long time ago before they had numbers. That's what life is like, one too many. What's life like before you have medical affairs? That's an interesting one. So I think life before medical affairs, things still were successful. Things still happened, but did they happen as optimally as we wanted to? We missed certain windows of opportunity that we didn't after we had the function. It's interesting, actually, because in that previous line of work, we had two products that were very similar. However, one was launched without medical affairs and another one was launched with the function of medical affairs and everything that went with it. Oh, it's like a clinical trial. I it's like, like this. It's like a randomized trial with the you know product of one. But the differences between the two were astounding. I mean, one became one of the most successful launches that the organization had had in, in ever. The other one was a flop. Why? And I think the strategic ability to have some foresight into understanding who all your stakeholders are and all of their evidentiary needs became a huge success. Not only that, but we also were able to put in some processes that allowed us to communicate to everybody else in the organization and help them 
on how to contextualize the data and communicate about the data in the same way, which we now call one voice messaging. So when we talk about the stakeholders, there are obviously many, many stakeholders in any drug, some of whom we care about messaging to, some of whom we might not care about messaging to at all. Which stakeholders really matter? from a messaging perspective? That's a great point. And I think the stakeholders change. So if you look at the life cycle of a particular therapy, it's not going to be the same stakeholders throughout the entire life cycle. Also, you may take the same stakeholders and engage with them differently along the life cycle. So if we think of medical affairs, they are out in the field, if you will, much, much, much before most commercial counterparts are because they can engage on a scientific level. So they're actually at the early side, let's say phase one, two, they're bringing in insights from the field. They're understanding from their stakeholders, from HCPs, advocacy groups, uh, other stakeholder, even payers for some degree when they're collaborating with their market access colleagues to bring in these insights and understand how those insights are actionable and how it may either start to influence trial design to ensure that you're really getting after relevant endpoints, or it can help determine how to position the therapy, or it can even go downstream and help commercial understand what the medical meaningfulness of a particular therapy is. The same stakeholders, when we get closer to launch, you may get engage them in a very different way because now you're starting to say, you'd like these physicians, for instance, to be advocates of the therapy, advocates of the research and advocates on your company's behalf. Same stakeholders, different engagement, depending on the time. If we talk about a company that has started out and didn't have a medical affairs group and transitions to a medical affairs group, even before then, they know that physicians have to matter. They probably have a sense that payers matter, though they may not have really optimized their message. But physicians start pharmaceutical companies. Physicians, they know that audience. What audiences are not known well or not understood typically by a company that doesn't have a medical affairs practice? We can answer that by thinking about, for instance, rare disease. You see more and more with, one, the access to technology, the access to information. You have a far more sophisticated patient group and a sophisticated advocacy group, whereas before the advocacy groups may be interested more in donations or grants. Now you're starting to see that they really want to be involved in the direction of the research to really get at the patient needs and to be able to understand and address those patient needs. So the sophistication of your patients and advocacy groups are increasing, which in turn makes the internal stakeholders of the pharmacy group needing to meet those needs. And it's no longer a conversation about a grant. It's now a more scientific conversation that medical affairs and clinical teams together can have with these emerging stakeholders. How do you know what an advocacy group really needs? I mean, that's something that I wouldn't know off the top of my head unless I happen to be a patient advocate because I had a child that had a particular condition. I think I have a sense from having been in science what a scientist cares about and having talked to a lot of payers, I probably have that sense. But advocate, I don't know. What do they need? You're starting to get into now the crux of what medical affairs can do. So because they are medics, usually they have a scientific background, a scientific educational upbringing, if you will, and they're able to have those fairly sophisticated conversations with these increasingly sophisticated emerging groups like advocacy groups, they're able to have a very different kind of conversation than was had before, meaning let's understand what are your research concerns? What do your patients need? Tell us and help us understand what the patients need. Therefore, our therapy can better match those needs with the end product. So you're really thinking about the end user in mind here. 
as somebody who's now done this a lot and, and transitioned from having no <laughs> no medical affairs to having medical affairs and now teaching others and being an expert in medical affairs, what's something that everybody thinks that they need to do with medical affairs that really doesn't matter? I would have to answer that to say, I don't think organizations are necessarily doing things that don't matter, but it's the prioritization of what matters and how much it matters. So once again, let's take our life cycle back to the beginning. If we can understand all the stakeholders and all the evidentiary needs across the entire continuum of a particular therapy or product, then we should be able to write our narrative. So if you think of this as a foundation to really build upon, we can call it a medical strategic foundation, if you will. Medical affairs should really be focusing on understanding that narrative. What is clinically meaningful in the space? What's the relevant unmet medical need for your therapy? And how can you ensure that the relevant unmet medical need is top of mind with your stakeholders? That's what medical affairs should really be doing early on is gathering those insights and understanding how that may affect a narrative for a particular therapy. Once they do that, they can actually then list out all the evidentiary needs from A to Z. So we're talking from disease state, unmet medical need, MOA, safety, efficacy, HEOR, et cetera, going down the entire path and understanding all the evidentiary needs. You may not have all the evidence, but you understand what's potentially needed in order to substantiate the narrative that you put together. After you do that, now you can really prioritize your medical affairs activities in terms of understanding how to communicate, when to communicate, to whom to communicate, and really disseminate all the relevant clinical information in the right way to all of your stakeholders. This is not the situation you were in, but a situation that many others might find themselves in, where there has been tons of evidence generated, but not necessarily the right evidence, but it's all out there. It's a mosaic that you have just been handed, maybe even a box of Legos. You've got to build a picture. You've got to build some kind of sculpture out of that. What now? You didn't plan right at the beginning. What does medical affairs do now? Right. So ideal state is to, before you generate the evidence, you understand why you're generating the certain types of evidence, right? So I think the key is write evidence at the right time, communicate it and disseminate it in the right way to the right audience. If we assume that's the ideal state, obviously the more time you give yourself, the better, because it may take two or three years to generate the right type of evidence, if you will. So if you find yourself in a place where you have a lot of evidence, but not necessarily the relevant, then you're kind of in a bind because you may need another X number of years in order to generate the right type of evidence. Because you don't have the right type of evidence. Because you don't have it. But how do you determine what's right? It goes back to our narrative idea. I'll give you an example. That's probably the best way that we can talk about this particular topic. A pharma organization was looking at a particular disease area, and that disease was characterized as a hematological dysfunction. And they started to also see, though, that patients were also dying of organ failure. So there's a hematological side and there's an organ dysfunction side, but generally the disease was characterized as a hematological one. Within nine months, they were able to determine what their narrative was, how their therapy fit within this treatment paradigm, if you will. And then how the types of evidence that they needed and what they needed to make most relevant and most communicated within their stakeholders. And within nine months, they were able to change the conversation. So KOLs behind the podium were now starting to talk about organ dysfunction. Mm -hmm. And of course, you can guess what their therapy is going to address. And had they stayed with the hematological 
conversation, their therapy would have no longer been relevant within the landscape. So that's what we mean by narrative is understanding how your therapy fits within the landscape and how we can use that to determine what kind of evidence and what the right kind of evidence would be for your particular therapy. Having done this now and having seen a lot of companies do it well, what's the surprising thing that you've learned that's different from what you would have expected or what you learned even from your first time setting up medical affairs? I think the biggest takeaway that I've observed is that many organizations buy into the concept but aren't quite sure how to get started. And the other side of it is that medical affairs cannot do this in a vacuum. It is a cross-functional exercise, yet you have a function that's able to gather insights from the field, from the stakeholders, and also able to communicate with clinical colleagues in terms of the scientific discussions, but at the same time understand the business implications. So you have a function that is prepped and poised and in a perfect position to be able to drive this strategy discussion, drive and own the narrative, and ensure all the evidentiary needs are being met from a strategy perspective and not necessarily from an execution perspective. So starting to do that is probably what requires the most activation energy, if you will. So we worked with an organization that was a little bit later to the game. You you mentioned that earlier of what happens if you don't have the right evidence, but you have a lot of evidence, not necessarily the one that is relevant. And they found themselves in that exact position and they launched and all of a sudden they recognized that they weren't going to get reimbursement for it because they didn't have the right evidence. So what happened is that the clinical team was highly focused on regulatory approval and that was the hallmark of success for them. And the medical affairs team was engaging, but not necessarily bringing the right insights in to affect not only the clinical trial design, but also to ensure that you have all evidentiary needs met. And they got to a point where, yes, they got approval and nothing happened. Nothing happened uh, in terms of uptake? Nothing happened in terms of formulary status? In terms of uptake. So it, it just wasn't there because they didn't have the right evidence to show how it was economically beneficial. And so they had maybe the approval, they didn't really have the clinical meaningfulness and they didn't have the economically beneficial piece of it. And it took them two years after launch to get that additional evidence that was required for them to then gain reimbursement. That's a very expensive mistake. It's a very expensive mistake. And it starts to highlight the natural collaboration that can happen between medical affairs and market access because market access understands the evidentiary needs years ahead of launch medical affairs now understands the evidentiary needs for most of their stakeholders years ahead of launch as well. It's a natural integration to be able to say from the medical narrative, how can we use the medical narrative to help inform the value proposition and how can we go from there to one, how medical affairs communicates and disseminates the data appropriately, one voice messaging like we talked about earlier, and two, how that can then in turn help the value proposition to ensure that all evidentiary needs are met at the time of launch. Suma Ramadas, thanks for joining me on the Cineos Health Podcast. Thanks, Jeff. That's all for today's episode of the Cineos Health Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. If you have comments, suggestions, questions, or if you just want to talk to a particular challenge that you have at your life sciences company, you may email me at podcast at cineoshealth.com. That's S-Y-N-E-O-S-Health.com. We're consultants. That's what we do.
One became one of the most successful launches that the organization had had ever. The other one was a flop. 